Welcome to the Elven Padawan Show, your place for everything Erebor to Echo Base. Now here's your host, Shay. Chobasso everyone, welcome to this first episode of the Elven Padawan. I'm your host, Shay, and I've got some great stuff planned for this first episode. So let's get started. First off, I want to give a shout out to Ray14, Boba, Sky's the Limit, Jin, and Snoke, and also to my secret apprentice. Thanks so much for being friends, praying for me, and offering encouragement when I needed it, and putting up with all my geek rants. Also, thanks so much to Christian for also putting up with all my rambling and getting me up to speed on my Legends knowledge. I am seriously lacking so much in this area, and I really thank you for answering all my totally random questions about the Darksaber, Bane, Plagueis, and everything else. Without the help and encouragement of all you guys, this show would not be here today. So I just want to say a very deep thank you, and may the Force be with you all. Now, some of you who have just stumbled across this show may be wondering a bit on what it's all about. So, I'm just going to give a quick rundown on what I want this to be. First off, I want to show the power and capabilities of all the fans out there around my age. We're the Padawans, just out of the youngling stage, but not yet a Nider Master. We're on various levels in our fandom development how long we've been a fan, some of us since before we can remember, and some of us only within the last few years. We're still in awe of all the epicness and still love some of that stuff that's not really so realistic, but man, it looks awesome. But we can also understand the depth and weight of the lessons and deeper meanings behind these stories. Truths like hope, faith, giving your all for what you believe in, and love's ability to redeem even the darkest villains. So while this podcast is for all fans of all ages, it's also especially for those like me, us Padawans who want to show the world what we think about these things, and who will soon be shaping the next set of these stories. This is our often missed but very unique perspective. Now enough of this preliminary nonsense. It's time to dive right into the show. Sit back, fasten your lap restraints, don't play with magical jewelry, and enjoy the ride. Did you know? Many people don't know that both the Balrog that the Fellowship encountered in the Mines of Moria and the Fellowship of the Ring and Gandalf the Wizard are essentially the same creature. When they were created, all these beings, known as Mayer, were the same. They were basically a lower group of angelic beings under the Valar. However, when Melkor, Sauron's original master, revolted against the Valar and their creator, many of his followers went with him. This included Sauron, who would later go on to become a great Dark Lord himself and forge the famous One Ring, and many others who became known as Balrogs. Balrog is the Elvish word for Great Demon. Later on, a group of five Maiar were chosen to leave the lands of the Valar and go to Middle-earth to help guide the peoples there. The Valar knew that the threat of evil was growing once again, and that the elves, dwarves, men, and others would need leaders of great power to help them in their fight against it. These Maiar went to Middle-earth, where they assumed forms of great men or elves. Their power was limited in this form, to keep them from becoming too full of themselves and ending up like Sauron. 
The elves called these guides Istari, the wise ones, understanding who they were and what their purpose was. But when men encountered them, they didn't understand their power and granted them the title of wizard. Such were Gandalf the Grey, Saruman the White, Radagast the Brown, and the red and blue wizards who do not come into play in the principal stories of Tolkien. So to sum it all up, Sauron and the Balrog that the Fellowship encountered are essentially evil versions of Gandalf. Now I'm going to go into a monologue on stormtroopers. Now, stormtroopers are a very basic surface level part of the Star Wars universe. However, there are some interesting things about them that maybe many people don't know or that some people would like a refresher course on. And also, I've delved into the mysteries of why stormtroopers can't shoot anything. Now, originally, I planned this just to be a sort of... Uh, brief overview, but it really expanded on me enormously, and I have ended up with a whole long uh, investigation into what stormtroopers are and what all they did, especially Imperial stormtroopers. I also touched briefly on the clone troopers of the Republic and the First Order stormtroopers. Let's jump right into this. Stormtroopers are one of the most iconic parts of the Star Wars franchise. Seen all throughout the movies, comics, books, and animated shows, they are considered a staple of the imagery in the Star Wars galaxy. We see them all the time in our own world as well, as they have become very common pop culture icons. They are all over t-shirts, bumper stickers, backpacks, and school supplies, just to name a few. Stormtroopers are probably considered as essential to the Star Wars legacy as spaceships and Darth Vader. But what are they really? What is the real difference between these faceless minions of the Empire and their brutal cousins, the First Order Stormtroopers? Or even the loyal and noble clone troopers of the Republic? Stormtroopers were the next phase of the Grand Army of the Republic's clone troopers, just as the Empire itself was Palpatine's next phase of the Old Republic. Through a lot of deception and trickery caused by Palpatine and his cronies, along with the help of well-meaning Jedi Master sifo the Grand Army of the Republic was formed to combat the threat of the Separatist droid army. They were born in the laboratories of Kamino and altered to have growth acceleration so that they wouldn't take a full lifetime to be ready for battle. These clones often exhibited extreme loyalty and nobility, caring deeply for those fighting alongside them. They referred to their fellow clone soldiers as brothers and often forged strong relationships with their Jedi leaders as well. Though born with an ID number as opposed to a name, the Jedi quickly started the practice of referring to their individual troops by nicknames, often ones first given to them by their fellow brothers while still in training. Many were encouraged by their Jedi to think independently and outside of the box, sometimes even stretching or bending the rules of their orders to get the job done. They were allowed to personalize their armor, both to the individual needs of the soldier and to the tastes of the special being inside. However, when Clone Order 66 was instated, the clones virtually lost their free will. Due to a chip implanted in their brains at an early stage of development, they turned on their Jedi leaders and assassinated them, all by the design of Palpatine, aka Darth Sidious, to bring on the Galactic Empire. At the beginning of the Empire's rule, these clones were the Imperial Stormtroopers. 
However, due to their advanced aging, they were quickly able to be weeded out and replaced with regular human recruits, who formed the next generation of soldiers. These are the stormtroopers seen in the original trilogy, as well as the Star Wars Rebels animated series. While a handful of clones hung around as trainers and such, many went into retirement and had little to do with either the Empire or the Rebellion. Imperial stormtroopers, different from the clone troopers, were typical humans and mostly voluntary recruits. They went to the academy to serve the Empire, and while there were trained to become faceless, mindless, and void of all personality or originality. They carried out their orders numbly, and were seen as the enforcers of the Empire's hand. They weren't phased by the deaths or injuries of their fellow soldiers. Later on, after the Rebel Alliance won the war against the Empire and the New Republic was in place, stormtroopers were done away with. However, the remnants of the Empire were not fully destroyed, eventually pulling together enough strength to create the First Order and their own army of stormtroopers. These stormtroopers were much more brutal than those used by the Empire and taught to think originally and independently if the need arose. These recruits had no idea of their original identity as they were stolen from their birth families as babies. They were never allowed to take off their helmets unless granted permission by their authorities, and while they occasionally referred to their fellows by nicknames formed from shortened versions of their ID numbers, they never did so in the presence of their commanders. They generally had no attachment to their fellow soldiers on the battlefield, though Trooper FN2187, also known later as Finn, was an exception. Once his eyes were opened to the reality of what the First Order truly was, he fled them and joined with the Resistance in a mission that would determine the fate of the galaxy. But of course, that's another story. So now that we've got the history lesson out of the way, let's get on to the real questions. If stormtroopers are so well trained and go through such rigorous training as we've seen represented in fairly recent canon examples, why in all the galaxy are they so dense? And why can't they hit anything? One of the biggest Star Wars jokes apparently existing both in the fan world and within the story is how dull stormtroopers are and how they can't shoot anything. In Rebels, we see the members of the fledgling rebellion often refer to the stormtroopers as bucketheads and allude to how dumb they can be. They aren't really even seen as a threat throughout much of the first season. And then there's this great quote from Obi-Wan in Episode 4, A New Hope. When they find a group of Jawas massacred around their sandcrawler, Luke assumes that it must have been sand people who attacked him. However, Obi-Wan shows him evidence that it couldn't have been the Tuscans, adding, And these blast points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Now this is one of the biggest jokes ever. Why in the world would Obi-Wan say this, when for the rest of the original trilogy we see stormtroopers consistently miss everything they try to shoot? Why are people so afraid of these guys, and why are they taken as such a threat when they're obviously so inept? First, something that needs to be understood, and something that I can get on quite the soapbox about, is that blasters in Star Wars do not shoot light beams. They do not shoot lasers. Even in-universe, it's understood that these are plasma, not lasers. According to Wikipedia and the Star Wars Visual Dictionary, blaster bolts are made of plasma. This quote is directly from Wikipedia. It states, A blaster was any type of ranged weapon that fired bolts of intense plasma energy, often mistaken as lasers. 
Now, of course, lasers, being a type of light, travel at 186,000 miles per second. Blaster bolts from A New Hope have been clocked in and moving between 130 and 135 miles per hour. Blaster bolts are therefore fairly easy to dodge, way, way slower than the speed of light. A human eye can track them easily, um, which is apparent from the movies. These bolts would be even easier to dodge than the bullet from a modern Earth handgun. The speed they travel is 20% the speed of a handgun bullet. Also, they're generally very bright colors, such as red or blue. Now, do people still get shot? Yes, of course. However, they don't get shot as often as they could because they see it coming and jump out of the way. So, even stormtroopers could potentially be the best shots in the whole galaxy. But if the bolts are that slow and someone moves, they can't change the shot in midair. So, it's a thing about blasters, not stormtroopers. And by the time of The Force Awakens, the blaster bolts seem to be moving much faster and seem to be more explosive as well. That's why stormtroopers are better shots there. Not to mention that their tactics and personality seem to be constructed to be much more brutal and ruthless than the Imperial stormtroopers. And also, if we're talking about fighting going on between the Imperials and the Rebels on the first Death Star, that doesn't count anyway. Those soldiers were told to miss the rebels. It was all a ploy to get them to go back to their base with the tracker on the ship and lead the Empire right to Yavin. Now, moving on to the stormtroopers in general and why they can't fight well. It seems that if they really went through the training shown in new canon examples such as the Star Wars Rebels episode Breaking Ranks and the Servants of the Empire book series, they would be much better fighters than they actually are. However, think about who was actually winning those training sessions seen in Breaking Ranks. Two of the kids were Force-sensitive. Ezra Bridger was being trained actively in the Force. He was very strong and very skilled, so he doesn't count. Jai Kel is assumed to be Force-sensitive as well. While he had no training in it, he seemed to have good abilities and was subconsciously tuning into them. One was really driven and eventually ends up getting moved up significantly, Zerleonis. He's got a reason to show that he needs to be more than just a simple stormtrooper. Remember, he's trying to get as high as he possibly can to get information on where his sister Dara went and possibly to aid the rebellion as well. The last kid was very driven and thought independently as well. He was willing to betray his fellows to win, and he was a model of what Imperial officers were meant to be. Those who think independently who are creative and good with strategy and show the values the Empire wants in its higher ranks, they don't stay as stormtroopers. They become officers, ISB agents, death troopers, etc. Those who are left are basic stormtroopers. So these kids, like, who were winning these here in the episode, in those rebel episodes we saw, that's part of the point in these training sessions were to basically sift through these kids, through these cadets, and the ones who were very skilled were tagged and and watched carefully as could potentially be force-sensitive. And those who did well and showed such uh, attributes as willing to backstab and, and think independently and generally act like 
an imperial officer, they were moved up to become officer material. Those who are left are the basic stormtroopers. Now, these kids are broken down completely. They go through extremely intense mental and physical training. Then, they're built back up as stormtroopers. By the time they're done, they're uncomfortable outside of their armor. They would rather always have their blaster at their side. And they don't even really like being called by their given names. As seen by an example of one of Zare's friends in the Servants of the Empire series, this boy wasn't phased by rain pouring on him. He was uncomfortable and almost didn't recognize his real name. These are what stormtroopers are by the time they're mostly done with training. Also, think about what stormtroopers' original purpose was. They were intended for skirmish control, bullying, enforcing the basic laws, and basically looking like a threat. They weren't meant for full-out war on a battlefield like the clones were. The clones were always intended as soldiers, fighting on a battlefield in a full-scale war across the galaxy. These clones still had different talents and assignments. Some snipers, some on the front lines, some tacticians and some medics but their main job was still warring imperial stormtroopers are not that's why they don't do well in those sort of circumstances even the first order stormtroopers are meant for conquering the galaxy starting up a war against the new republic here's a quote from the star wars official website saying the imperials utilized their shock troops to suppress small rebel cells and engage the rebel alliance in small-scale battles prior to the widespread galactic civil war First Order Stormtroopers also spread fear initially and fought in small skirmishes against the Resistance, but their goals were to increase their strength and reconquer the galaxy. So here are plenty of reasons why Stormtroopers aren't such great soldiers. And when you think about it, it's not really necessary for them to be super great shots at singular moving targets. Like I said before, they were for skirmishes with untrained insurgents to look like a threat, etc., Usually when we see them interacting with our favorite rebels, they're up against Jedi, or at least very well-trained fighters. Take a look at just the ghost crew. Two are Jedi. One's an elite Mandalorian fighter. One was the head of the elite Lasat military. And the last is the pilot, who doesn't often end up in the ground fights but is already a fantastic shot, and she's the daughter of one of the most renowned freedom fighters from that section of history. It's not really fair to be matching stormtroopers against these guys. And if you still don't like these reasons, here's one final answer given to us subtly by Rogue One. Now caution, there are spoilers ahead. Chirrut Imway constantly reminds his friends to believe in the Force. Speaking of how he does not have the abilities of a Jedi, cannot wield the Force as they do, but also says that in battle, the Force protects him when he emerges seemingly unscathed. One of his most famous lines from the movie is, I fear nothing, for all is as the Force wills it. And there you go. We've been told by other characters such as Qui-Gon that everyone is chosen for a purpose, just as Galadriel tells Frodo in Lord of the Rings, this was the task that was appointed unto you, and if you do not fulfill it, then no one can. So, in the end, even if stormtroopers are the best shots in the universe, have the most high-tech, fastest, lethal blasters, and are just all around 
the best fighters any reality, any world, any universe has ever seen. They're still under this will of the force. So they can't win. And that's all I have for this first episode of The Elven Padawan. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I apologize for the roughness of this first episode, but I hope you'll stick around as I improve my skills at this thing and it gets better. Please check out my site, www.elvenpadawan.com, where you can find updates on the podcast itself, as well as the Elven Padawan blog. You can also sign up to follow the site and leave me a comment on this episode to have it read in the next one. Also, please subscribe and leave me a review on iTunes. This is really so helpful. It helps other people get an idea of what to expect from this show. And really, if something like this has no reviews at all, people are much less likely to listen in. Sound effects from this episode were from the Free Sound Project at freesound.org. A complete list of sound effects can be found at elvenpadawan.com, along with the other show notes for this episode. Some music used in this episode was by Airtone. Once again, thanks for listening. May the wind under your wings carry you to where the sun sails and the moon walks, and the force be with you always. Goodbye! <laughs>